and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tanellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. Listeners, believe me when I say that much like my taste in music, my reading pile is an eclectic mix of genres. I'll happily read rural fiction one day, crime the next, followed by rom-com or stories categorised as women's fiction for want of a better term. And don't get me started on rural noir and domestic thrillers. In short, I love them all. So when I picked up Kylie Caden's new book, One of Us, I knew this was going to be right up my alley, a book that takes us well beyond the picket fence and exposes the imperfect lives of two seemingly perfect families. Covering some big issues, this book was pacey and complex with an intricately woven plot that had me guessing till the very end. Highly recommended reading for lovers of crime and domestic thrillers. And so it is with great pleasure that I welcome Kylie to the podcast today. Hi, Kylie. Hi, Claudine, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I wanted to say congratulations on the publication of One of Us, your fourth novel now. Um, And if you couldn't tell by my introduction, I absolutely loved this book. For me, this book served to highlight that it's it's impossible to truly know what's going on in people's lives. And just because a family live in a beautiful house and drive a flashy car or live in an affluent suburb, it rarely signifies a perfect life, does it? Absolutely. Not that I live in an affluent community. I'm in my, you know, middle class suburban Brisbane suburb, but... Uh, I do think it's dangerous when we do compare our own lives with the curated image of others and we're not insta-perfect in reality. So, yes, it, it can be dangerous. So, Kylie, can you tell me more about this terrific story and what inspired you to write it? Well, it starts, you know, behind, the, you know, the tall hedges of a gated community, as you said. It begins with a scene of a Um, a man bleeding out in his fancy mansion and his wife looking on. And at that stage, the reader doesn't know which of the dodgy husbands that we later meet um, is actually fighting for life and, you know, who may have actually done this crime themselves. So um, that's all revealed as we get to know all the people of of this gated community. So we meet two women, uh, mostly. There's a few little, you know, side characters as well, but we meet Gertie, who seems to be everyone's favourite. She's a frazzled mum of three boys uh, or three children they've got their own quirks you know one only eats white food and one can't sit still and you know a few other things going on and then we have um, Rachel who's kind of the polar opposite she's a quite a well-groomed successful career woman that's got her own business and married an Olympian so on paper she's doing you know wonderfully well and yes, we their lives intertwine when they bond over the disaster that are their their marriages, and they find that even though they're quite different, they they have some similarities. So their friendship develops as we unravel some of the secrets that sort of are revealed in this in this little community. What was the spark of inspiration that got you started writing this story? I kind of meld lots of things together in these books, and then kind of distill them down when I find I've got lots of stuff that won't fit and won't be developed to the extent it needs to be but um, I do recall one particular scene where I was out on the 
front lawn. There's a few neighbours looking around and there was a... Um, a bit of a um, incident of domestic uh, disturbance across the road with a couple that there was a bit of a heated exchange and a few of the neighbours were discussing, should we do something? Should we intervene? Will that cause the perceived victim any more harm if we were to do that? We all had different prior knowledge of, you know, the the two people involved about, oh no, he's a nice guy, he wouldn't do that, or she's, you know, she's this and that. So we all had a different experience to bring to that discussion. And it was just very different how we all had very different views on on what was taking place, how acceptable it was. So yeah, that kind of made me realise you really have no idea what's happening. And that was the seed of, I guess, um, some of the you know, the themes in the book. Other things, there's obviously a bit of modern parenting analysis in there. There is strong themes of motherhood about making sure that parents allow their children to take responsibility for their actions and how much we should protect our kids from the realities of the world and balancing that with, you know, them taking responsibility when perhaps they make mistakes or make wrong choices. So different models of of parenting certainly took me back to early parenting for myself and those, you know, very self-doubting days where you're making lots of decisions constantly about dropping feeds and bottles and, you know, how do I discipline my children and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, strong theme of, of differences between women, but also that we all at the end of the day are trying to do the best by our kids in whatever way we think that is and hopefully support each other through that. You've mentioned some of the big themes already, but there were some other themes that I was particularly interested in. Coercive control was one of them and also narcissism and sexual predators. Kylie, tell me, why were these themes that you wanted to explore in the context of this book? There's basically just a bit of an emergency, I think, in this country with the amount of gender-based violence that we see and and don't see. A lot of it isn't on the news. It's not seen as palatable. Occasionally, it it is, you know, surfacing with, you know, the more ghastly incidences, but I think it's about one, one a week on average in Australia, which is just very disturbing to me. I think also the old fashioned idea of domestic violence, even the term violence assumes that it's physical violence and you know the the wife that might be down the butcher on the Saturday with a a black eye with makeup you know is concealing any injuries but um, with that you know the side of coercive control and the gaslighting and manipulation and and all the other more insidious psychological aspects that you know can take place and do take place in marriage and, and any sort of intimate relationship it's just far less obvious to the world it's more insidious it often can be more dangerous and I think the victims can often feel a lot more alone because it's not something you talk about saying to someone oh my husband doesn't let me see my friends as much or something doesn't seem like you know you might joke about it oh yes we're all under the thumb or this and that but it can actually be signs of something far more serious so something I'm passionate about I guess and Mm. I guess I think that fiction can sort of inform our culture to some degree I, I don't think it's hopefully not triggering or graphic to the extent that it would upset people but hopefully the way that I've addressed it, hopefully with some sensitivity it does make people that might have experienced similar things feel like oh okay it's not just me this has mm-hmm. happened in other families and perhaps there are other ways that we can support these people. I think 
and I've spoken about this before on the podcast with other authors, but we know that as a form of domestic violence, coercive control is appallingly frequent in its occurrence. And you've mentioned this. And people often believe that it's that it only happens to certain women and to a lesser extent, certain men, but it's incredibly common. And in this book, we essentially have two women who have cause to examine their lives and determine whether they're better off with their husbands in their lives or not. And unsurprisingly, the woman... Rachel, she could easily walk away from her marriage. She was the one that was financially able to, but she was the one that felt the most guilt and who kept making excuses for what was happening. That's not an uncommon feature of coercive control, is it? I wouldn't imagine so. And I think that's part of the the nature of, of the condition. They basically undermine their person's ability to have confidence in their own ability. So a seemingly normal, confident woman that may have, you know, achieved great things in other areas of her life. And however, within the intimate relationship, she's absolutely dependent. And yeah, it's just basically belittling that person to to a degree that they really don't trust their own instincts, which in some ways is the most awful thing you could do to someone is to take that piece of their their own confidence away. So the people that say, oh, well, you know, she could have just left. Why didn't I just leave? It just completely infuriates me because it really is very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated, I think, is exactly the way to describe it. But I guess what I marveled about in this story was how realistic uh, Rachel's behavior was in terms of the way she explained away the things that were happening, the things that her husband was doing to her, how she rationalized it, not only to herself, but to others. And it, it was almost chilling the way that she was blinded by him. So I wanted to ask you, Kylie, how did you get inside Rachel's head? Uh, thankfully, it's not through personal experience. I'm really chuffed to hear that because I did try my best to to paint that picture, I guess, in a realistic way without it being too in your face. And I do have a, a psychology background, so I do have you know a little bit of insight into the cycle of violence in in domestic settings. But I think I think it's a lot. It's just it's just empathy and trying to think of of what what it would feel like in that situation and kind of put yourself in those shoes underneath we all do want I mean we do want to stay usually with our husband and the you know the the father of our children it's usually easier and 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 more palatable to society to stay you're seen as a failure if you divorce in, in many settings um as if you know oh you couldn't keep a man or you know what was wrong with her and that sort of thing which is completely unfair the status quo is easier to maintain than any change. It takes a lot of courage to change your life in that way. It's also seen as being selfish to some that, oh, it's going to impact my children. And, you know, why why am I more important than my children? In terms of how I got in, in her head, oh, I don't know. I think it's just on instincts. And I, I think the husband involved was, you know, not a particularly nice person, but even the worst characters have good traits. So just when they find they might be, you know, completely abhorrent, they go and do something amazing and romantic and wonderful. And you sort of convince yourself that, oh, look, it'll be okay. He's going to turn a corner, all that sort of thing. So um, no one's black and white and things aren't that simple, I guess. Yeah. Now you mentioned it earlier, Kylie, but one of the big themes in this book was motherhood. The idea that particularly appealed to me in this book was well, not necessarily appealed to me, but resonated with me was the idea that children are extensions of and reflections of their their mothers in, in many ways. It explored the guilt that we mothers often feel when our children behave badly. 
or do things we don't expect. Um, so I wondered if you could tell me about this and why you wanted to explore it in the context of this novel. I have three boys that are very spirited. I love them to death. I do anything for them. They are turning out to be absolutely beautiful young men, but they have driven me, yes, to grey. Grey hairs here. Very spirited, very boisterous, very strong-minded. And it is so easy as a mum to almost see that, as, as you said, an extension of your own behaviour. You created them. You're raising them. I mean, who else is it to blame here other than, you know, the person most involved in their life? So I think that's why it's so emotional and so difficult because every decision about should I allow them so much screen time or whatever the, the current crisis might be all seems to reflect back, well, this is only a small thing, but you know, what if all these small things create who this person is, um, which is kind of important to raise a good community-minded person that's hopefully not going to end up in jail or, you know, somehow um, not a good person. So that's always been important to me. I'm, I'm very um, sensitive to what others feel. Like I'm always the person, the mum in the shop saying, you know, get out of the way of the lady with the wheelchair and don't touch all the things. Someone will have to clean that and all those sort of silly things because I feel like, well, I wouldn't do that and I don't want to be responsible for that person having some negativity. So I think it's hard to let go and, and say, look, this is an independent being. You can try your best, but they're they are their own person and just like we can't really be responsible or, or um, take any credit for their their good things because it's about them. And the same way that if they do something not so good, that was their choice. They have free will and we can just try and guide them in the right direction. I have friends that have perfect angel children that would sit politely next to them at, at the cafe and do their colouring in, whereas my kids would be off trying to find the fire extinguisher to try and create a scene. And I'd be like, oh, what am I doing wrong that my children aren't, you know, beautiful angels? And I think I just realized after a while, look, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And, you know, they've ended up lovely kids. So, yes, one of the key parts, I think, of motherhood that is quite, quite hard to let go of that they are not you, they are, you know, their own person and you should let them be themselves. Yes, yeah, so true and so well said. Kylie, I think I told you before we started recording that Gertie was my favourite. I mean, she she was just such a wonderful character. And I feel much like Gertie in many ways, and I've said this to my children on occasion, <laughs> maybe it's a form of emotional blackmail, I'm not sure, but Gertie says that she made her children from scratch. <laughs> 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 and the overwhelming sense of love and the need to protect that comes with growing a human is so powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, no disrespect to dads. There's some, my kids have got a great dad and they serve a very good you know, purpose in a, a child's life, but they're not mums. <laughs> they're not very good at being mums. They're great at being dads and having experienced it three times. It's, it is, you know, just an overwhelming experience and you do, I think, lose yourself into that role. And I think that's sort of another theme in the book is about trying to keep hold of an aspect of yourself that's not related to being a mum or, a, you know, your, your job or, or a wife is actually who are you without those things? And we should all have a hopefully a strong sense of self without those things so that you know, when our kids grow up or if our husband leaves us or, you know, what other things change in our life, we've still got us at the end. And I think it's really important to try and maintain that sense of self. And I think Gertie and Rachel both lost that for different reasons in their marriages when, you know, having kids and 
you do get so busy with kids and motherhood, there's just not a lot of time left for yourself. So yeah, I think it's important to maintain that, that little cornerstone part of yourself when you, you know, have such overwhelming experiences. So Kylie, the novel is set in Sydney in this exclusive fictional residential gated community called Apple Tree Creek. I wonder, did you have a specific place in mind when you were writing this novel? Not really. And I'm a Brisbane girl. So yes, don't, hopefully you don't look too much into the, you know, the street names or the how long it took to get to a certain place, because I don't think Google Maps is that good. Because the community had, I wanted that sense of claustrophobia in a gated community. I wanted that tin can, I think they call it approach, where basically everyone on the train is a suspect in the murder, like, you know, Agatha Christie or something. So it it was all to me about the estate. So who was in there, what they were like. They're all in in each other's pockets about things. No one could come in and out without a fob and, you know, know, high walls to keep them all in. So I probably neglected the whole where it was geographically it didn't matter too much it just had to be affluent enough to have some very elusive clients I suppose that's how it began uh, I guess being in Sydney. Fair enough so what other research did you have to do to bring this story to the page? It feels like so long ago, Claudine. I'm I've sure actually it was just long ago. <laughs> I've just literally handed in my edit for the next novel, and those characters I could tell you everything about them, <laughs> and and now I'm like, oh, this one—it's the wrong book. That's that book. There was certainly a lot about psychological effects of certain things in marriages. A lot of it, I, I'm pretty time poor, so I don't actually take on things like historical fiction or complex forensic scenes because I'm scared I'll get it wrong Mm. and I kind of write what I know and it was easy for me to draw on you know suburban life with mums and the anecdotes that come with you know parenting so that's sort of what I stuck with certainly from a police procedural point of view I do have a detective mate that I pass anything by and flick a message and say would they do this would he interview what would the dogs do in this scene and he'd tell me little insights about you know and I'd learn lots of interesting things and please don't look at my search history because I'll look like I'm <laughs> some sort of mass murderer <laughs> the things you know like how the sniffer dogs can only go for a few minutes and then they start panting and they can't sniff anymore and things like that that I was like oh that's really cool so you do find little interesting interesting snippets as you research for books and I do like them to be realistic but Mm. at the end of the day if it doesn't suit the story I just kind of finesse over that bit a little fantastic (laughs) I love it Kylie if there was one thing that you'd like readers to take away from this novel what would it be I think I would like women particularly to feel like they're not alone if they're dealing with some complex situations to feel a bit more empowered I think the world is changing in terms of of certain themes the attitudes to coercive control are absolutely out there and I would hope that that yeah they would feel a little bit less alone and able to deal with whatever might come their ways. Kylie you might know that there are a lot of writers who listen to this podcast and I wondered given all of your experiences if you had any tips or advice to offer aspiring authors out there. I've learned so much and I feel like I haven't even started. I'm just starting my sixth book. I've finished, just finished the fifth and I still feel like I don't have a clue what I'm up to, to be honest. <laughs> I am I am getting there, but I, I've learned something with every book. I think the first couple I learned to write in scenes and to make sure I didn't have too much exposition. I kept the majority of the, you know, the chapter in that active voice. 
I've learned about editing and how horrible it is, but how important it is to, especially having edits that are, are specific. So I do an edit with, I'm going to just check all my verbs are strong this month and not just randomly read. Cause I think you sort of after a while read on cache memory and you're like, yeah, yeah. And this happens and he does that. And yeah, this is all great. And you actually go, nah, I'm actually just going to look for tense or what have you. And then you really do realize, oh, look at this, look at that. I'm a big fan of the draw treatment where you literally just leave it for a week or two and just don't look because what you thought looked, you know, like genius. You come back a couple of weeks later and go, oh, what was I thinking there? <laughs> so a yeah. fresh eyes is certainly a, um, a very uh, valuable thing to have. And at the end, just, just be yourself and don't try and emulate your favourite authors or try and get the thesaurus out to have all these big, cool words. I think you just need to be authentically yourself because only you can write your book your way and that's what isn't in the world is, is your story. So to have confidence in yourself and also don't be afraid to break some rules. I think it's a creative process. It's not meant to be science where you have to stick to this and that. So if, if you want to flip to third person for a chapter for because that suits the story, I'm a big advocate for just doing it. If there's a point to it and it makes the story better and your publisher lets you do it, do what you think it needs to be, you know, the story it needs to be. Thank you so much for sharing. That's wonderful advice. You're welcome. Kylie, if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your books, where can they find you? We've all got a, a website, kyliecaden.com.au, or I'm on Facebook, or, you know, I think I avoid Twitter. Sometimes I feel it's a little bit bit antsy. You won't find me there very often, but Instagram and, yeah, I'm always around. Kylie, one of us was a gripping, insightful look at modern life and the many issues we face as women and mothers in today's society. It was a fabulous read. Thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. You're more than welcome, Claudine, and thank you so much. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinetanellis.com, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.